1: amazing news. It's here. It's time. It's the Marijuana Summer Sesh. Join us for jokes and tokes June 12th at the Artist Tree Studio Lounge in West Hollywood. This event is a 420 friendly comedy show. If you are a Marijuana podcast listener, you have got to come to the Marijuana Summer Sesh. We did two Marijuana sessions last year. In October, we did like a Halloween sesh at Nopali Studios. Literally, marijuaneras listeners from out of state, caught flights and flew in just to attend the marihuanera sesh and listening party last October. That was our, only our second sesh ever. The very first ever marihuanera sesh was September of last year. There was a line to get in. Sold out event crazy times you have got to be there this time around we are at the artistry studio lounge and we have a lineup of ridiculous comedians starting with our very very super special guest danielle perez we've got daniel cabral who is also going to be our mc and dj for the night vince caldera and lewis lemis also me I have seen all of these comics live. They are hilarious. Danielle is on TV. Vince has his own special that he's recording coming out soon. Daniel is a wedding DJ. And Louis has the best mustache in stand-up comedy. So you've got to be there to see it all June 12th. The Marihuana Summer Sesh at the Artist Tree Studio Lounge is sponsored by UMO, Mexican-American-owned, Salinas-based Umo. You know that this is my favorite flower brand. This is the only flower brand that I am smoking on the podcast and shouting out and really fucking giving big ups and big props too. So we want to thank UMO for sponsoring the Marijuana Summer Sesh and making this event possible. So make sure you come through. You can get your tickets to the Marijuana Summer Sesh on Eventbrite. Visit my Instagram and hit the link in my bio at mala underscore Munoz. You can also hit the link in the show notes for this episode. The Marijuana Summer Sesh, June 12th, at the Artist Tree Studio Lounge, sponsored by UMO, is the first Marijuana Sesh of 2022, and you don't want to miss it. Radio. Radio.
0: Radio. Mommies of myth and bullshit a Radiophonic novela Locatora Radio hosted by Mala Muñoz and Diosa Fem Hola hola locamores welcome to season 6 of Locatora Radio por Casteras next door
1: Locatora Radio is a Radiophonic novela which is just a very extra way of saying a podcast,
0: podcast. I'm Diosa and I'm Mala um, so some quick updates, you can follow us on all socials, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, Facebook, all of it. We're there. We're, act- we're as active as we can be. And if
1: you're looking for a findum drain and aspire to be our human wallet, you can escort yourself to our Patreon, actually, and subscribe <laughs> monthly. <laughs> now that I think of it, go to the Patreon. It's look at our productions.
0: Um, you can also still actually use our Venmo, Dash radio We are receiving Venmo donations there, locatora-radio. Uh, And additionally, if you want to support us and by extension, another Latina owned business, you can use our affiliate code Locatora Radio 15 and get 15% off of your next makeup purchase from vivacosmetics.com. Head on over to vivacosmetics.com and use affiliate code Locatora Radio 15.
1: You can also use our Marihuanera podcast affiliate code on your next bong purchase at Latina owned Mota Glass. Our affiliate code is Marihuanera P4P for a percentage off. Locamores, today on the podcast, we have the immense honor and pleasure of introducing Francisco Aviles to you, to all of our listeners at home. Frankie is an incredible journalist, a fabulous friend, and a really inspiring storyteller. Francisco Avilespino is on a mission to make investigative journalism and documentary sexy. We got the chance to talk to Francisco all about that mission, the importance of authenticity, and a brand new investigative podcast by LAS Studios coming out Frankie actually co produced this brand new Elias podcast. So we're going to talk more about that. Born in Acapulco Guerrero, Mexico, and raised in Los Angeles and Anaheim, California, Francisco is currently reporting and producing three podcasts for Southern California Public Radio's Elias Studios. In between reporting, researching, and developing important stories for our region, Francisco is also a surfer and is passionate about getting more kids from the hood in the water. Together with photographer Brittany Bravo, Francisco and Brittany both set out to document a surf session that we are also really happy to share as part of our interview with Frankie here on Locatora Radio. Head to our Instagram at locatora underscore radio to check out beautiful photography from Brittany Bravo and Francisco involving surfing in Southern California and make sure that you hit up Frankie's Instagram and website. Uh, Francisco shares all that information in this interview. Enjoy and thank you for tuning in. peligrosas Francisco Aviles Pino thank you so much for joining us today thank you for stopping by Locatora Radio and sharing your story and your work with our listeners can you say hi to all of our Locamores tuning in from home oh
2: my gosh thank you for having me I'm I feel incredibly incredibly honored to be at a space in a space that like I've seen in my purview right over the years. And I, I don't know if I've told you both this, but I had an ex in college who was like a big locator head. And I was just like, who are these girls? I get it. You know, they're cute and they're charming. And then like you guys, I can't escape you guys, you know, like <laughs> you guys have always been around. And so Begrudgingly, I'm like, all right, fine. If they want to be I, my friend, I'll be their friend.
0: I hope all our exes feel that way.
1: <laughs> There's a lot of exes out there who are like those damn locatoras.
2: Oh my God.
1: <laughs> the propaganda. So we we caught one <laughs> here in studio. Um, thank you for stopping by. I want to ask you about so many things. You're a poet, you're a journalist you are a storyteller you're an activist you have lived many many lives i first met you on twitter i feel like our twitter souls like gravitated towards each other like our tweet vibrations just like brought us together and we ended up meeting in person I think for the first time at La Cita,
2: yes with Melina
1: that was our first hangout and we've been Mm -hmm. buddies since um have gotten to know more about you as a as an individual but also more about your story and your work and your place here in LA media so we just want to jump in and like tell us about you as a storyteller
2: well yeah thank you I think like I said I've seen you both as like a beacon of you know, of not only hope, and I hate to say it, and that's such an Obama like linguistics, you know, but it's like you both have sustained this like conversation around like both empowerment and identity, but also like the importance of, I think there's like an ancestral way that chisme is important and an ancestral way that Fem's talking about what's important to them and um, centering rage, centering pleasure, centering joy, that um, I, you've heard this many times, right? And I've like read all your profiles where like you were, you all gave light and a sound to something that was missing, you know? And whenever I think of LA podcasting, I think of like Locatora Radio. So um, I'm excited to be here, you know, and um, arguably I think like it was just, it was meant to be, I like how you talked about the Twitter energy, but, but yeah, um, I'm not sure if I understand your question. You want me to talk about also like my storytelling journey and like why I'm here. Yeah. I mean, maybe I can read a poem that kind of talks about it. Is that cool? We love a
1: poem. Let's do it. We love a reading.
2: (laughs) So this poem is going to be in a collection and I think it talks a little bit about like why I do what I do. Okay. Um, Okay, let's do it. An Ode to Journalist, after Safia El Gilo. It is 4 a.m. on Monday morning in Acapulco, Guerrero, Mexico. And before he is my grandpa, Rosario is packing newspapers on the back of his truck with the help of his daughter, Paloma. They drive down the colonia at 5.30 a.m. sharp. And before she is my mother, Paloma, the oldest of eight, yells into the megaphone the news of the day. A country that is no one's, a country called Mexico, was no longer safe. So Paloma ran away from one crumbling house to the other, but needing to send her two kids first. And I was lucky to not find a camera trying to photograph me in the hotel, dirty and alone with my sister. Before journalism, I knew that I would remember the smells that this, oh, sorry. Rem- remember the smells that this story w- and that this story would always matter. And I believe this to be the reason why my mother never says goodbye in a phone call and how after one call during the trip north, we had to pay to talk to her after that. Over 10 years later, after the migrations in between the separation and assimilation and all that shit, my mother asks me to charge change the channel when the news comes on. After after I told my grandpa I want to be a journalist, He was silent for almost two minutes and finally said, ten mucho cuidado. Um, So I wrote that poem, I think as a way to bring together why I pursue journalism in America, right? As an immigrant, I sort of have like a reverse Jose Antonio Vargas story where like, I'm coming out first as an immigrant and and pursuing journalism rather than like winning a Pulitzer and then coming out. And so I feel like people like him and Mariano Josa and other Latino journalists like Adolfo Guzman Lopez, um, I think set the tone for what journalism is. And when I was in college, I was sort of, I came to the reality that I was an immigrant and I realized that there were outlets like Democracy Now!, The Intercept, and there were investigative journalists at Rolling Stone at the time, too, who like I deeply admired and who were pursuing adversarial journalism as a way to keep the powerful accountable. Um, and I then got to see journalists of color who were really trying to not only reflect the communities they were from, but who were also doing stories about other communities, but by maintaining dignity and prioritizing dignity. Um, And so growing up, I always knew that my grandpa was a journalist in Mexico, that he was persecuted um, and that my mom would like transcribe stories for him. And so I always had like this little, I guess, rock in my shoe around like, if the arts don't work or this doesn't work, um, I know that like it's in my blood to pursue journalism kind of thing. Um, And so over the years, you know, I've been freelancing, doing beats here and there, doing editorial contracts, Um, and I think I'm finally at the precipice to just be like a little louder about like, I'm an investigative journalist, I do serious work, but I do serious work that is arguably sexy, you know, like I want to also like entertain and give people context and sort of um, offer important factual information to our communities and adjacent communities. So my long-winded answer is the poem, ancestry, all that shit.
0: (laughs) All that important shit. I hear you. I hear you. Um, Yeah, I mean, you have some incredible work with the likes of Vogue, The Intercept, LAist, and KPCC, and many others, but those are just to name a few. And so you kind of alluded to this already, but what keeps you going, Francisco? Like, the work that you do is hard, but what keeps you going? What is your why?
2: Hmm. I think I, I find myself realizing that my toolkit, and by toolkit, I mean like what I lean on when things get hard kind of changes a little bit, but what stays the same is definitely family. You know, um, I think I'm very grounded by the fact that like my grandpa believed, in the power of journalism to document injustices. And then um, my mother, you know, she wanted to be an artist growing up. And so I was raised on like community theater and I was raised on uh, movement music. And I did mariachi at a really young age. And so she also exposed me to the beauty of what the truth is. Um, and there's a really important quote um, that I like been gravitating to. Um, And it's in an interview that Toni Morrison did, I think in the eighties or nineties, where she said like, quote, it's not possible to constantly hold on to crisis. You have to love, you have to have the magic. You have to have love that is also life, Um, end quote. And I think that keeps me going is the fact that like, yes, there's a lot of hard shit to report on. And sometimes like, I've been very transparent in my senior producers, I'll like leave an interview And then I'll like, I'll kind of cry in my car and then I'll like turn on like Tupac or something and I'll get like very spiritual about it. And I'm just like, this is my purpose, what I'm doing. But it comes down to that quote I just read is like, in the work I do, I know there's beauty and I'm trying to find it. Um, Fatima Asgar said in an interview on this podcast from the Poetry Foundation where she said that like, yes, you can write about the injustices, but are you doing it in order to entertain or are you doing it to report? And so I think as a journalist and as a writer, I'm always finding that fine line, but I'm also trying to um, prioritize a form of dignity um, and, and, a, and a form of, you know, and I'm learning through, through it as I go as well. So I think it's partially family, partially history, um, and then like beauty. Um, I think there's so much beauty in the truth. And um, I think as a journalist, I'm, I'm simultaneously negotiating those two as I go.
1: You wrote this one article that I love so much for LA Taco that I think is a perfect example of all those things you just described for LA's Latinx punks, rude boys and metalheads mashing a ceremony and a form of healing. And I love this article so much because it's so LA so Mm -hmm. specific it's so like la latino but there's also these iconic like women featured in this article like the first photo you see is stephanie mendez who is an incredible journalist she actually wrote our la times feature um and she's right here moshing you know like the first image you see in your 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 article and then you also have this super super la deep cut in your interview that you included with Mandy Torres, also known as Dandy Mandy, (laughs) who if you've been in LA for the past 10 years and you've been on the internet at any point and you're cool at all and have any sense of culture or like what's going on, you followed (laughs) Dandy Mandy, you know who Dandy Mandy is. And she has not been public for a very long time for many years now. And here she is in this article that you wrote. So I felt like this piece was a really great example of like the honesty of like our cultural scenes here in LA of like these beautiful women who are like such central parts of it you know and then also like making it sexy like like this is cool journalism that I Mm -hmm. think is awesome that it's the type of stuff that pops into your head that you want to write about so I don't know can you tell us more about that article and how it came to you that you wanted to write it and how you put it together
2: Thank you for pointing the article out because it's like it was definitely one of my favorite pieces to write. And I'm definitely on the opposite side of the spectrum where like I know writers who hate the process of writing. And I think for me, it was one of those articles that was swimming inside of me for years, you know, and it was something that I overheard from friends and colleagues dating back to college, dating back to like high school days when I would ditch and get in a car with friends to like, track our way to Compton or to South Central for a show, you know, Um, it was, there was this feeling that like, this needs to be documented in a certain way. And I hope that us talking about it today, maybe inspires other people to continue to do projects about that because it's an ongoing conversation that a lot of punks and like people that have grown up going to shows feel as like, there's a sense of healing in these spaces. And what's funny is that I, I pitched that article around everywhere last year, and like, I'm grateful for places like La Taco and specifically Javier Cabral who, who who took a chance on it and who was just like, you know what, this is the right place to do it. Let's do it, you know. And um, I wanted it to be a a kaleidoscope of voices um, where I could have taken like a very Hanif Abdurraqib approach and been very memoir or reflective, but I also wanted to center like femme voices. Um, who, who sort of talk about, you know, these like ska and punk shows as like places of safety and security where like you can consent to a form of, I guess, pain, you know? Um, and so it, it was it was fun to both talk to scholars and talk about like, there's people and ethnomusicologists ha- that have written about that and have written about the various ways moshing is ancestral. And there's like research that has shown that for actu- for that for, not for actual, that for like native tribes across America, like it's also another form of like healing um, and expressing rage, um, I'm gonna, there's, there's a Gloria Anzaldua quote out there about like femme rage and about like how voicing that is, is a form of, of healing and a form of, um, you know, place making um, um I, I I know you know, I I think you know this scholar, Diosa, um gay Teresa Johnson, like wrote about like spatial entitlement and what yes. that really means in music, you know.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes, that definitely check out that book about spatial entitlement and um the sonic imaginary, also. So gay Teresa Johnson, amazing scholar. Um, but also, you know, Audrey Lorde wrote a lot about the use of anger and um, you know that justified rage Um, so I, I love that you're you highlighted that in the particular article and also about consenting to some type of pain mm-hmm.
2: I mean we we love it we love it as Latinos we love our crooners shout out to Doris Anaí who's like out here putting out music for us to cry to you know like we love people that allow us to feel and like cry and yell and scream. And I think as somebody who grew up with so much like trauma, you know, for me, I'm gonna be unapologetic about it. Like being an immigrant and being a queer immigrant um, came with a couple bruises. And so to be able to consent to them growing up and uh, find sanctuary in these shows has been really cool. So thank you for for bringing out that article. Um, It's near and dear to me.
0: Yeah, I wanna ask you about another article in particular, which is also why one of the reasons that we wanted to interview you today, um, because you did a, you interviewed two mayoral candidates, candidates, you, let me go back. You interviewed two mayoral candidates, Kevin DeLeon and Karen Bass, who are arguably, depending on who you ask, the two front runners for the LA mayor race. And I noticed because I noticed lots of things that happen on social media. Um, I noticed that when you publish the articles, there was some pushback, as if an interview is equates in a, an endorsement. And I know we've sometimes sometimes have been on the receiving end of it. So I wanted to ask you specifically about journalistic integrity and why it's important to interview people that are in big positions of power that affect the lives of millions of people and even if we don't agree with them even if we don't agree with their track record like why is it important to interview them specifically for a you know a mayor race the biggest race in LA arguably
2: right so the the primaries in June right so a few folks have already been getting their information in the mail Um, and if you haven't make sure you check that out right away and so that when Javier and I were sort of plotting this, we knew that we wanted to talk to the front runners and we knew that we wanted to really offer them a profile of like a 101 on on is this person outside of just their policy priorities and like, what do they represent? How authentic are they to Los Angeles was kind of a big question. Um, but I think I would argue as a journalist, I'm happy that there was sort of a conversation because I want the journalism I do and the work I do to start conversation and to continue conversations because there are other people, you know, like Austin Cross and a lot of folks like um Aileen, Arlene at the, at the LA Times, who's starting conversations around the LA County Sheriff. There are people, you know, whose day job it is to like report on stuff and for it to live in the world, you know. I would hate for something I do to just exist within like only a small group of people or, you know, and um, and so I'm, one, I'm happy that there was both conversation and there was even pushback um, because I know that like what I'm doing is is at least hitting a heartbeat. And I think, um, I'm, I'm glad. And I think one of the things that I know that you all sort of relate to is like, it's not like you're platforming people, right? There's like a big difference in saying like, oh my God, I love you. You're the best person out there. Let me send you out. And I think if you read the articles that I wrote, you know, there's there's similar language in both articles where I was trying to really bring context to what the democratic party means in Los Angeles and um, how people genuinely feel about it. And then I offered space for the candidates to talk about their legacy and who they are. And so it was more of like both candidates had the same template, and I offered context around the articles. Um, but I'm also the big believer in like, I did the work, I sent it out. Yeah, se acabó. You know, like this was something I did before I started at KPCC and Elias, and we sent it out there for it to live and breathe. But at that point, like, it's my byline. But the conversation has started, and if anything, like I hope people read through the article and they also read through the comments and were like, "Oh okay, like, and I hope that other journalists and other folks who are covering the race see like, okay, we should talk about these things, you know, um, And I hope it continues a conversation um, about these candidates.
1: Yeah, thank you for your work in that in that regard, because I think we forget sometimes that Just because, and the royal we, right? Uh, If, just because I know a ton about a candidate and I've made up my mind and and I understand why I'm not voting for this person does not mean I can withhold that information from others because there are a lot of people who don't know that stuff yet. You know, we have to give uh, our audiences an opportunity to learn why a candidate is problematic for themselves. It's the best way that I learned things is learning for myself, reading it myself, hearing it myself, you know? And so I appreciate the work that you do as a journalist in giving that information to the public and allowing people to become more informed decision makers. And you're right. An interview and platforming are two very different things. Platforming is like someone giving you tons of money and setting you up on a press tour and giving you book deals and movie that's platforming you know, but, uh, giving an audience an opportunity to learn more, I, it, it is just that it's reporting. And I'm really curious about how you, um, approach like your interviews with like Karen Bass and things in the future, especially as we get down to some major elections that might be like really contentious and like huge here in the city.
2: Yeah. There's a lot of folks that both at Elias and the LA times, who's like day job is to follow every single beat every single endorsement when it comes to these races so i would definitely like look to them and see them as like genuine resources where they have fact checkers on there and then they're doing the work i'm no longer on the mayoral beat you know i'm working on a few shows right now for kpcc and earliest but i think what what i can say is that like as i said earlier it's it's genuinely the start of a conversation around it. And if anything, I'm inspired that like, we're at a different place than we were five, 10 years ago, when we think about local elections, you know? I think one of the reasons why we may have had sort of candidates and elected officials pretty much gaslight us is we didn't have this um, very public forum. We, we had these resources, right? But we're at a different place where like, we have the language, due to writers, artists and journalists and movements, um, everybody is, is in this pot together, like trying to give each other language um, and trying to make the access to that information a little easier than it was before. Um, and so there's a lot, there's, there's both folks, um, I'll sort of keep shouting out Austin Cross <laughs> at Elias because he's having in-depth conversations with the candidates Um, Every evening, and those are resources that are free for folks to use and um, look at and learn about because he's also asking the candidates, um, which is different from my reporting the direct questions around what their recent policies have done, for example, I know that folks were upset that um, there wasn't a dedicated space in the Kevin de profile to talk about the sweeps he had done. Um, And so. It wasn't an editorial choice to withdraw that. It was definitely needing to balance Karen Bass's coverage. Um, And the point of both profiles, like I mentioned, was to introduce the people on who they were and their sort of authenticity to Los Angeles. Um, And I wanted people to read both articles and get a sense that I wasn't endorsing either of them and that they could sort of figure out who they liked best. Um, And that's a conversation that Brittany Bravo and I had when we were on the ground with them. Is like, we're gonna come in not having an idea, you know, and we're, we're gonna come in really wanting to know who these people are and start a conversation and that's it.
0: Thank you. So tell us a little bit about what you're working on now. You have a new role at LA Studios. So tell us about where your investigative journalism has taken you since.
2: Yeah, so last summer, um, I had pitched Antonia Cerejido a show, you know, I was freelancing at the time, and um, as an independent journalist, and I like, was sort of, I had already known about her work and the work that she was beginning to do at Elias. and I pitched her a show and very gracefully said no, but she said no, but I think, um, you know, sort of let me know about the recruitment and the work that was going to come at Elias. Um, and I started then in December, and um, when I started, I started already on this show that was in production at the time, hosted by Adolfo Guzman Lopez, where he's looking at a, um, a a cultural icon and DJ and journalist at the time in the 90s named Oscar Gomez, who passed away suddenly at, San, at UC Santa Barbara, actually, um, and who's who the Santa Barbara County Sheriff's Department said that pretty much the case was unsolved and so what Adolfo and us as a team have been doing over the last few months has have been investigating like what happened to Oscar what was Oscar's impact and so it's an investigative sort of noir show about the Chicano 90s you know and the legacy that that brings but it's also a hybrid memoir show about Adolfo Guzman Lopez, which is one of the first Latino public radio journalists um, of our time. And so I'm really excited for it because we're launching at the end of May, and we're ha- we're going to have a few activations for it in June. But it's it's really a beautiful show that uh, that talks about the importance of Latino journalism, the impact Oscar could have had in our community, but also around the legacy of the Chicano movement and um, how it's maybe alive or dead now. Um, and then I'm working on two other shows but um, I can't talk a lot about, but what I can say is that one of them is about a controversial figure in the yoga wellness community and conspiracy theories. And the other one is around the LA County Sheriff's Department. And so that's all I can say about the two other shows, but they're slated for the summer and the fall.
0: Ah, okay. okay. Wow we will be tuning in we'll be tuning in for sure
1: Francisco thank you oh go go ahead go ahead no no no. yeah
2: I'm looking forward to seeing how what you guys think
1: oh yeah we will be tuning in um if you would like to collaborate on a launch party let us know you love you know we love a podcast party um (laughs) but we're thrilled for you we're so excited for you these shows sound incredible I need to know who these people are um when can we expect to like maybe see like a
2: trailer or a a release date so first og show is this month the month of may um and i will definitely bring you more details on the trailer i'm not sure exactly what day yet uh but there's definitely going to be some in-person activations for it in june so look forward to that
1: Exciting stuff. Francisco, thank you for stopping by Locatora Radio. Where can folks follow you, uh, read your work, support you? Give us all the plugs.
2: Yeah, please go ahead and follow me on, on Instagrams. I'm uh, at gotfran. I think that's where I post most of my like photo, video updates about the work I'm doing. Um, and then on Twitter, i mostly just Talking about journalism, the news, um, slight commentary, and then sharing all the mala jokes, all the diosa um, information as well. So at fr- sorry, at Francisco underscore Apino. You know, that's on Twitter. Um, but yeah, and then my website has all of my work, which is just
0: my name.com. Amazing. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today, to share a little bit about your story and the work that you're doing. Uh, We can't wait to see all the shows and all the amazing work you have in store for the rest of the year.
2: Thank you both. It was really an honor to be here with you all.
1: Francisco Aviles Pino. Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card... right rug flooring whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cash back rewards a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks